I V M. You are listening to the Signal Daily, brought to you by Front Page Studios. To be or not to be—that is the dilemma faced by Italian luxury brand Loro Piana. The hundred-year-old Italian fashion house long headed the quiet luxury movement, catering exclusively to the ultra-wealthy with its minimalist, high-quality, subtle yet elegant designs, making less of a statement and sending more of a signal to those in the know. The brand uses vicuna wool, one of the rarest and most expensive fabrics in the world. Its designs have always been logo-less, and since Loro Piana does virtually no marketing. Access to a piece from its collections has historically been a status symbol, recognized only by those who can afford one themselves. And as you can guess, its customers are typically celebrities and upscale businessmen who come from money. Even in the web series Succession, our favorite tragic hero Kendall Roy sported a logo-less Loro Piana cap. But recently, as the New York Magazine points out, everybody is flexing about wearing the Italian brand. And that's because Silicon Valley's tech bros are now buying this ridiculously expensive brand. And can you really expect tech bros to not brag? For example, Chamath Paliapatia, a prominent venture capitalist, recently flaunted his access to Loro Piana's collection on X, making it the centerpiece of a viral online debate. But now this viral fame is at odds with its carefully constructed, elusive, and mysterious facade. Because you see, for a normal brand, climbing up in popularity would be a logical cause-effect relationship. But for a brand that keeps its existence quieter than most secret societies, it's not that simple. In other words, the label's newfound spotlight has forced it to come on stage and establish itself. You know, much like Tony Stark was made to declare that he is the Iron Man. So now it is collaborating with influencers, and its release of an NFT collection. Has left its older cult questioning whether the Kendall Roy bomber they were wearing still exudes the understated, elusive charm. Well, for now, Loro Piana is in for a tough balancing act. You know, managing the expectations of new and lavish consumers with newfound wealth who want to go all out, while also considering the preferences of businessmen who'd rather be discreet about their crazy wealth. So now the question is. How will it balance quiet luxury with loud opulence? For the next few minutes, you're going to know a little more than you did yesterday from the world of technology, business, policy, and anything that leaves you with food for thought. Hello, I'm Manaswini, and this is the deep dive for October fifth, twenty twenty-three. I firmly believe we are already living in the future. It's not decades away anymore. We are smack dab in the middle of it. Okay, consider this: spending countless hours in the virtual battleground of PUBG isn't just upping your odds of finding true love from across the border. It's also your passport to represent your nation in the Asian Games and snagging the shiny gold medal. Now, if that isn't the epitome of winner winner chicken dinner, I don't know what is. So gamers looks like your dreams are coming true. Just last Sunday, over at Hangzhou Esports Center, China grabbed the gold medal in the grand finale of Asian Games PUBG event, and Korea came second. 
Now, if you're wondering how India performed, well, we didn't even participate in the PUBG event for the reason I think you already know. But India did jump into the fray with four other esports events at the Asian Games, including League of Legends and FIFA Online 4. But we didn't get any medals. Anyway, a total of seven esports got a spot on Asian Games roster this time around. And pay attention here because this will go down in history books. Apparently, this is the first time that esports have hit the big leagues as official medal-earning events at the Asian Games which sort of brings them at the same level as the traditional physical sports. Didn't I tell you we are smack dab in the middle of the future? What is wilder is that the esports competition in Asian games got way more traction than the traditional sports of swimming and boxing. Among all the sports played in the Asian games, esports is the only one for which the demand from audience was so high that tickets were sold on a lottery basis. Journalist Zai Yang of MIT Technology Review reported that over 5 million people tried their luck to score a ticket for the esports events, and each of them had just a tiny 0.5% shot at actually getting one. Several publications reported that China's Hangzhou Esports Center was chock a block with hooting audiences, and to top it off, all the esports related merchandise was sold out in just the first few days. Even on social media, Esports seemingly trumped their traditional counterparts. SCMP reported that when China won the gold medal in Dota 2 after a four-hour match against Mongolia, it became the most talked-about topic on the social media platform Weibo, surpassing even China's victory in table tennis. Actually, on that note, I'd like to rephrase my earlier statement. I reckon Chinese folks are the ones who are truly smack dab in the middle of the future. Because this is really difficult to stomach. Giving medals for competing in esports is one thing, but folks getting more hyped about watching 20-somethings play glorified video games instead of witnessing athletes run, swim, and jump like freaking superhumans is just a little bizarre. Journalist Zai Yang, who I quoted before, argues that this is happening because esports is now mainstream in China. By that, he means your average esports fan in China is not just your garden variety directionless teenager but also people who are well settled into their 30s and 40s. And then many Chinese cities have a culture of clubs and local tournaments for esports, similar to, say, football. This can very well explain the reason China is the largest esports market in the world. But how did this happen? Yang says there are two factors. First is China's homegrown video game industry. And second is the rise of mobile gaming in China which means esports is also reaching folks who don't own gaming PCs or consoles. Now the Chinese government, as Singapore-based TV network CNA noted, wants to make esports a legit professional industry, tapping into its strong potential to drive growth. But it is strictly, wait, how do I put it? A love-hate relationship. Because, as Yang points out, and I'm reading it verbatim, the government praises esports as a source of national pride, even as it despises them as a factor in internet addiction. So basically, on one hand, local governments in China have been subsidizing video game companies. For example, last year, the Hangzhou government pledged 100 million yuan in annual funding for video gaming and esports. The authorities are also encouraging the brightest minds to pursue degrees in courses like esports management and esports commentary. But on the other hand, the same government restricts esports enthusiasts under the age of 18 
from playing video games for more than 3 hours a week which is the biggest hurdle for the industry if esports were to grow into maddening leagues and tournaments something that china even wants to export abroad it will require the government to let its hair down and allow the talent to start training in early teens if you like listening to the signal daily please show us some support rate and review us on apple podcasts and spotify we'd love to hear what you have to say about this podcast so feel free to shoot an email at hello@ratethesignal.co The Signal Daily is produced in association with IVM. The episode was written and researched by Dhruv Sharma and Anoop Samwal, edited by Dinesh Narayanan, produced by me Manaswini, mastered and mixed by Manas and Nirvan. You can catch this podcast every morning on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Prime Music, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. We are the signal.co on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.